This is an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. Lockdowns, closures, and anxiety as novel coronavirus alters lives in new ways today. Airlines have grounded more flights. All of Italy is locked down. Harvard has moved to online learning. Santa Clara County in California has banned gatherings of a 1,000 people or more for the next three weeks. New Jersey reported a death from coronavirus, bringing the total in the country to 27. This is provoking a lot of questions, and so we want to turn right to our chief health and medical editor here at ABC News, Dr. Jen Ashton. She's with my colleague, Diane Macedo. Jen, our first question is, isn't it true that air dryers, the hand dryers in public bathrooms, are full of bacteria? In effort to prevent exposure to coronavirus, are you better off shaking your hands dry in the air? You know, it's a, it's a decent question, Diane, but here's the bottom line that I want to remind people of. Let's not overthink this. Um, there may be a shortage of hand sanitizer in the country, but to my knowledge, there's no shortage of water, soap, and sinks. So we're not <laughs> scrubbing to perform a major laparotomy or abdominal surgery here. You just need to watch. Wash your hands with soap and water for 20 seconds and dry your hands well, whether that's with a dryer or with a paper towel. If it's with a paper towel, use that to turn the faucet off and the doorknob to get out of the bathroom. But again, let's not overthink it. Uh, Some people want to know, why is coronavirus more concerning than the flu? The flu affects more people and kills more people. 100%. And um, I'm glad that this person asked this question because we do need to remember that, in fact, up to the last estimates from the CDC were that 20,000. Americans have died from flu-related complications this season. But as you know, we cover flu every single year, and people tend, most people, to turn a deaf ear to it like it doesn't really matter. Now, all of a sudden, the flu is kind of having its heyday of attention, if you will. I think it's important to understand, though, it's not a competition. So they both can be mild, they both can be severe, and unfortunately, they both can be deadly. Um, They're different respiratory viruses, and it's not one size fits all. Uh, it's not either or. And this is new. And I think that's why there's so much attention on this right now. We don't know what to expect. We don't know how it will behave. We don't even know for sure with large, large numbers, the transmission dynamics of this. So um, I think that's why it's it's in the spotlight as much as it is. All right. And if 64,000 have recovered, this is our next question. How do we know what recovered is? Does this mean they're no longer contagious? They're asymptomatic for how many days? Right. 10, 14? I saw this question and I loved it because this really reflects the way uh, a scientist or a doctor thinks about viruses, epidemiology, and transmission dynamics. So recovered to to that line, in my medical opinion, means they're no longer symptomatic. That doesn't mean they're not still infected or contagious because we know, let's say, for influenza, especially children, can be contagious for five to seven days after they start developing symptoms. We don't have any of that data yet with this virus. So all we know is that when I hear the word recovered, uh, to me, that means they're no longer symptomatic. And that is good news. And we have to remember, because now we're hearing all this focus on the vulnerable age group, vulnerable populations. Yes, the majority of severe cases fall into that group. But I want to be clear, we will hear some people who have no pre-existing medical conditions who are not elderly who occasionally will fall into the severe group as well. So in medicine, it's not it's not black or white. It's not all or none. Um, but, you know, we do rely on those statistics to guide us in general with what to expect. 
Is there such a thing as just being carriers of the virus but not showing symptoms? Can the virus still be spread by them? That's a great question. And we think that the pediatric age group is major um, in this group. In other words, they are likely becoming infected, but they're not showing symptoms. Um, and so they may be vectors of spread or they may be the ones who are actually going home and spreading to their parents or grandparents. Um, so again, those are all things that we just don't know yet about this virus because it's less than three months old. And we've been told the general population doesn't need to be wearing masks. What do you think about wearing disposable gloves when shopping, etc., so that you can peel them off before getting in your car or home? Okay. <laughs> so I will confess, I actually thought not of disposable gloves, but I thought, well, you know, it's still kind of winter here in New York City. Maybe I should wear my winter gloves out. But here's the thing. We can't walk around in a plastic bubble, okay? We're not going into an operating room sterile environment now. So again, I think that that would absolutely be more harm, more waste, more burden on our healthcare system. There's no scientific data to support that it does anything protective um, other than waste disposable latex gloves, potentially. And remember, the touching your face phenomenon, your, your that's a reflex. So your body doesn't even really know whether you have gloves on or not. So um, I still go back to just when you pass a sink, use it. And before we go, Dr. Jen, I wanted to ask you any final thoughts. Yeah, I think, Diane, today my two um, main areas of focus are, number one, you know, with this uncertainty that we've been seeing from the beginning, um, it brings me back to one of my favorite lines in life, which is you can't always control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond or react to what happens. And so I think that, again, taking calm steps, minimizing the things that you can do that are low risk and may be some benefit um, will help a lot with that. And then and I think the other thing is the specifically about this outbreak, both globally and here in the U.S. or in your local area, um, because there are now these hotspots in the U.S., is understand the concept that something can still be low risk to the overall population, low risk to you as one person, but a higher risk to either our global economy or global populations or certain other populations like the vulnerable, uh, elderly, et cetera, et cetera. And they're not in, in conflict with each other other. Those things are not contradictory to each other. So I think keeping those in mind really helps with the insight and perspective as this story continues to evolve, because every single day something changes. Boy, isn't that the case. ABC's Dr. Jennifer Ashton, our chief health and medical editor, and a lot of us looked overseas to Italy to see the response there and wondered if something similar could happen in this country. So I want to turn to James Longman, who joins us now from London. Uh, James, you just left Italy, and I, and I wonder what your impressions were of the country you were leaving behind. I think sadness and shock, I think, that it's come to this. That's the overwhelming sense. For a long time, I think the Italians, not unlike many other people around the world in many other countries, or certainly speak for the United Kingdom, felt that, you know, this was serious, but, you know, it would pass. You'd read all sorts of stuff about how, you know, seasonal flu kills a lot more people. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's important not to get too worried about it. A lot of reports about Italians just getting on with their daily lives uh, in the region that was most badly hit. It's a ski resort. And a lot of people were going from Milan, the Milanese, this time of year, heading out basically every weekend to go skiing and every weekend coming back to Milan. And it's that kind of movement that the government was repeating just don't do but i just think in this last week it has dawned on italy that actually something very very serious is happening and they feel i think that particularly their elderly population is under attack 
Um, you know, Italy is the has the second largest uh, elderly population on earth. I mean, there's a real sense that uh, seniors across the country are really in danger. The way Italians live their lives as well, um, uh, older members of the family are, are part of the family. They live with you. They're not like other parts of Europe. I speak for the United Kingdom where older people are, are perhaps sort of sent away to nursing homes. They live with their families for a long time. And I think that might go some way to explaining why this virus spread the way it did, because you had uh, younger people capable perhaps of transmitting the virus, moving it around, uh, transmitting it to older people who were with them in the same locations perhaps, and those people less able to survive it. Um, it's very unclear really why Italy has been this badly hit. That may be one of the reasons. It, Italians are certainly asking themselves why, uh, and I think now shock, um, but I think acceptance that these hugely kind of drastic measures have been put in place. Mm, indeed. And elsewhere in Europe, we're struck that th- th- those measures have so far not been taken. The, the UK, for example, saying, you know, classically, keep calm and carry on. Yeah, that's right. And actually, the government has come in for a lot of criticism about that, not least from a large number of health professionals, professionals who are saying, look, a lot of other parts of Europe have done this and it hasn't worked, you know. And part of the, one of the big reasons why Italy put in this measure is because they were saying everything that we do, it seems that the virus is two weeks ahead. So we move this way and the virus has outsmarted us already. So, for example, when you come back to the United Kingdom from Italy, only now is the United Kingdom saying you must quarantine for two weeks. That's, that's a new measure as of the 9th of March. Now, this thing has been going on since the end of February. There were no measures in place for Brits coming back from Italy for weeks and weeks. And so I think there is a sense, perhaps, that, that Britain is, is trying to put a brave face on this, uh, seeing whether or not the cases do rise, because you have to say, you know, Britain's situation is nowhere near as drastic as it is in Italy. But a lot of health professionals here are saying, don't let it get that bad before you then act. And that is what Italy is doing. It's, done, it's kind of taken a shortcut, this drastic action, mirroring what they've done in China to see if they can nip it in the bud. And the expectation here in Britain is that actually might happen, but only when cases uh, rise significantly. James Longman is our senior foreign correspondent joining us from London. Uh, James, our thanks to you. The government response, whatever government, is driving how investors view this crisis. And we know uh, what happened on Monday when the stock market opened and trading had to be briefly halted. There were signs that there was a rebound, although that has also been unsteady. And so I want to turn Uh, to Caleb Silver at Investopedia, because the stock market has been really unsteady through all of this coronavirus. Absolutely. And and much of that is predicated on the fact that global health officials do not have a good handle on containing this or or giving updates on on how long it may take to contain it, because for the various reasons that it's moving very quickly, uh, and they just don't have a cure at the moment. So that uncertainty compounded with a delayed government response in certain countries has made investors very nervous, and we see that again today. The Dow has given up around 700 points uh, just in the last few hours. Uh, this has to be, coronavirus has to be, the biggest stress test for, for the market and the financial system since 2008. Absolutely, and it's even bigger than, obviously, the trade war, which was kind of a political gamesmanship. But this, is a, this has uncertainty written all over it in that we don't know when it will end and how it will end. 
And that makes investors very nervous when it comes to holding risky assets, stocks by net, by definition are risky assets. And given the fact that so many companies have cut their profit forecast and their revenue forecast because they cannot see beyond the next week, beyond the next quarter, uh, investors are pulling money out of stocks and hiding out in U.S. Treasuries and gold. Caleb Silvers, our friend from Investopedia. Caleb, our thanks to you. Want to turn to the White House to see what they are doing uh, there. ABC's Karen Travers is at her usual post. We heard from Vice President Pence and now President Trump's on Capitol Hill. Karen? Yeah, the president went up to Capitol Hill today to have lunch with Senate Republicans. And Aaron, it's a chance for him to pitch them on his plans to stimulate the economy. They're, of course, concerned about the uh, growing outbreak and the impact this is having on Wall Street. The president's reasons to uh, try and stimulate the economy are twofold. One, easing investors and analyst concerns and also helping industries and America they say that are impacted by COVID-19. The president yesterday said he wants to move forward on what he's calling very substantial relief. He says this is going to be big, very major. And two things he said he would like to do. One, help hourly wage earners so that they aren't worried about missing a paycheck. And two, a potential payroll tax cut. Already, though, we're seeing skepticism, not just from Democrats, but some Republicans who say that the payroll tax cut may not be what is needed right now. We'll see if the president can maybe convince them during this hour or so long lunch. We heard Vice President Pence mention today, Karen, how the nation's health insurance companies would cover co-pays for coronavirus testing. They've been convening meetings with different sectors of the economy. Yeah, they're trying to do a show of force. You had health insurance companies today. We're going to have Wall Street executives in tomorrow. It was airline CEOs last week. The vice president separately has met with uh, executives from major nursing home companies. So they're trying to go through bit by bit all of the different industries and sectors that they say are being impacted right now. Uh, But a lot of this is messaging, really, because they're not doing anything just yet. This call for economic stimulus could take some time. President said last night, I'm going to be back here in the briefing room on Tuesday and I will announce what we're doing. Well, that's not how quickly things work in Washington. He's got to go up and convince lawmakers to get on board with this. And or as we say, they're seeing some skepticism already. And also it's just it takes a while to put something like this together. ABC's Karen Travers with us from the, the White House and our understanding of coronavirus can really only evolve through testing. The director of the Centers for Disease Control appeared on Capitol Hill to say that LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics are up and running now to help states conduct coronavirus tests. That's going to help because we've been hearing from infectious disease specialists about a bottleneck. We're joined now by the chief of infectious diseases at South Shore Health outside of Boston, Dr. Todd Ellerin. By our count here, Doc, at ABC News, only about 5,000 people across the country have so far been tested. So how limited are you right now, and why is it so important? We want broader testing because then we can really figure out where the denominator is, meaning how many people really have this infection, rather than just the tip of the iceberg where we're only testing hospitalized patients with severe illness, severe respiratory illness, or contact tracing. That's the CDC definition before or criteria were more if you are uh, you know, a close contact of someone with a confirmed case of COVID-19 and are symptomatic or you know, the hospitalized patients with more severe illness. So now the change is for a broader criteria, but the point is the state labs don't have the ability to process, 
you know, a, 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 an unlimited number of testing. So they're limited by their capacity. And the number of patients with flu-like illness who are testing negative for flu and negative for the respiratory viral panel far out exceeds what that capacity is. Does that make sense? It does. So you have a lot more people that you'd like to test. Yes. Can you give us an estimate of on a, on a daily basis of how many people you'd like to test that you can't? Remember, now you're talking to one provider here, right? So there's a lot of providers. And this is an estimate. I don't know, but I would say it would be in the hundreds or the thousands. Because the importance of the testing right now is trying to... It's not that we're worried about the individual patient because most patients are have mild symptoms, right? So that's clear. So it's not that we have to test patients based on the severity of their symptoms, but we want to come out we want to come up with a reasonable infection control plan for them. So if we can't test them, then we can't ex- and they're negative for the other respiratory viruses, then we can't exclude COVID-19 and that's a problem. What are you learning about this virus that you didn't know a couple of weeks ago and how is that informing some of the decisions that you're making on a day-to-day basis? If you were like painting a picture right now, I feel like only about 60% of that picture would be would actually be filled in. I think there's a lot of blanks and and some of the things we don't know right now is what percentage of patients are asymptomatic. And what percentage of patients have really mild illness? So what needs to happen right now is we need to do two different types of testing, okay? We need to do testing, of course, of the symptomatic patients, okay? So we, can, so we know how many of those actually have confirmed COVID-19 and how broad-reaching that is. That's important because... Obviously, some of the fundamental infection control principles are early identification and then isolation, right? So we can only do that through testing. The other part that we need to fill in more of that, of that painting is we need, to, we need to test asymptomatic people and people with mild illness to see how many of those are infected. Because once we do that, then we'll have a better sense of this denominator, Right, because when you look at case fatality rate and you hear that the case fatality rate's going up, it's gone from 1% to 2% to 3%, remember something. Early on in an epidemic, we tend to overestimate mortality because we don't have the, the, the entire perspective of denominator. And it's only with testing that we'll have a better sense of this. Dr. Todd Ellerin joins us from South Shore Health in Weymouth, Massachusetts, where he is chief of infectious diseases. Boston, Massachusetts, by the way, has canceled the annual St. Patrick's Day parade that was to have taken place on Sunday. It would have drawn a million people into the streets. But the mayor said, although the risk remains low for coronavirus, it was pertinent out of an abundance of caution. And there are steps like that being taken all over the country. I want to turn to ABC's Alex Stone. Santa Clara County, California, Alex, isn't going to have very many large gatherings anytime soon. No, they're not. In fact, they're putting together uh, an order that will go into place uh, tonight. The announcement made last night that they are now going to ban large events in Santa Clara County. Santa Clara County has had one death. They've got dozens of infected people in the county. Their one death was a community spread case. They don't know how she got it woman in her 60s. She had not traveled. She had not been around anybody. And then she became very ill 
and she died yesterday. This is the announcement that was made last night. I have issued a legal order banning events with more than a, a thousand people in attendance. This order will take effect at 12 a.m. on Wednesday, March 11th, and will remain in place for three weeks. That's Dr. Sarah Cody. She's the head of public health in Santa Clara County. This ban is going to affect things like concerts, and they've got some that are planned, San Jose Sharks games that they won't be able to have any kind of an audience there. Santa Clara County is big. It's home to about 2 million people. Silicon Valley, San Jose is in uh, Santa Clara County that the county is saying they've got to do this right now because the numbers are going up. They have to figure out how to try to slow the spread. And Aaron, they say they think this is the way it should be done. We'll see if other counties are prepared to, to follow suit. Elsewhere in Northern California, that Princess cruise ship is still parked in Oakland. It is, and right now it's being emptied out. It is a large effort. Uh, they they have all those who have COVID-19 off. There were 21, 19 crew members, two passengers uh, who have COVID-19 known to have it while they were still at sea, and they had done the testing. Californians and Canadians are off. They got them, the Canadians being sent back on charter aircraft by the Canadian government to Canada. They will be quarantined there. Californians came off yesterday. They're going to be quarantined to Travis Air Force Base here in California. Now there are buses right now outside of the Grand Princess or big medical tents where they're processing everybody. Then they get on those buses. Those are going to be the folks going elsewhere to Georgia and Texas. Those who don't live in California but are U.S. citizens, they're going to be quarantined there for 14 days. Then they will get the foreign passengers off, and then the effort should be done. The crew is going to stay on board. They're going to be quarantined on board. The ship will leave. It's going to go back out to sea. But this has been a large effort that right now is really only in the the middle of being underway. They've got a lot of work left to do. Uh, Simply a a stunning amount of work there at the Grand Princess cruise ship now docked in Oakland, California. Alex, since our conversation began, we learned of another death or two new deaths in the country from coronavirus. New Jersey reported its first case of a death of a coronavirus patient. Also, Washington State. So the total around the country is now 28. And in Washington State, Governor Jay Inslee announced new policies about nursing homes. Yeah, a number of different things that that he's putting into place now because nursing homes have been the incubator in Washington State where a lot of this has been spreading. Not all of the cases, but most of them have been in nursing homes in that state. So today, the governor coming out, Jay Inslee, and saying he's going to implement rules that all workers have to be screened before their shifts, that anybody coming in has to be an adult, and every person who is in a nursing home will get only one visitor per day. Here's what he said. Residents are limited to one visitor per day. Visitors must be adults. And the visit must take place in the resident's room. This does not apply to end-of-life situations. And those who are going in will have to wear personal protective equipment. He says this is needed now. They've got to figure out in nursing homes, those who are most vulnerable, the elderly, those with pre-existing conditions, that those are the folks who have been dying in Washington State, that they need to figure out what to do in nursing homes. That's what he's working on right now. ABC's Alex Stone with some of the new information coming out of the West Coast. There are clusters of coronavirus in Washington State, in California, and also here in New York. 
The number of cases around the United States has grown to at least 760, with now 28 deaths as Americans continue to alter their social routines, in some cases their school routines, their office routines, because of this outbreak of COVID-19. I'm Aaron Katursky. You've been listening to an ABC News special. ABC News. Honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News. America's number one news choice. Okay, so when the New York Times calls you one of the eight news podcasts worth listening to, well, you just say thank you. So go on. Start smart with Start Here, the ABC News Daily Podcast. Take us with you. Listen to us now, free, on Apple Podcasts.